Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to our second service here at BPJ Centre. And we have been doing a series of messages uh, in the book of Daniel as we place our lives into God's hands. So turn with me, please, to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 20, right? Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. I trust we were here when Pastor Ivan was here last week on verses 1 to 19. Okay, so verse 20 now, verse 20. Some weeks back, I went to visit my parents at their home and my mom was telling me that she's been coughing and coughing for months and therefore she had to do a uh, chest scan at the polyclinic and I wanted to find out what was the result of the scan, what did it reveal and I asked my mom to show me a report of the scan and when I looked at the report, because I don't have the intelligence of doctors, the report was punctuated with medical terms that I cannot understand, I cannot spell, I cannot pronounce. And all I wanted to know was, are your lungs clear or not? And so when we come to Daniel chapter 9, it's a bit like that when, uh, if we are in the place of Daniel, and in the words of a commentator uh, on the book of Daniel, this is what he, he said, have you ever asked what you thought was a simple question, only to be utterly baffled by the depth and complexity of the answer? Perhaps you ask a brain surgeon how he knew where to make the incision or cut, a nuclear physicist to explain how atoms are constructed, and once they started to talk, you found yourself completely mystified. Hawkins uh, say catch no more. You were looking for an explanation along the lines of Science for Dummies series, only to discover fairly rapidly there are some subjects apparently not suited for dummies to learn. There may be a reason why rocket science for dummies is an oxymoron. Now, when we come to Daniel chapter 9, here was the prophet and the intercessor Daniel praying and pleading to God for Jerusalem. They have been under exile in bondage as slaves in the Babylonian Empire for close to 70 years. Two to three generations have passed and now arise in the world scene a big boy called the Persian Empire and he saw in the book of the prophecy of Jeremiah that the 70 years of the prophecy of the exile are coming to an end and therefore he pleads for the mercy of God remember your people even though we have sinned and God dispatches the angel Gabriel we pick it up now in verse 22 verse 22 God dispatches Gabriel and then comes to tell Daniel through Gabriel in answer to his prayer he made me understand he meaning Gabriel speaking with me and saying oh Daniel I have now come to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy a word went out and I've come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved therefore consider it done your prayer answered good night that's not in your Bible right Verse 23, therefore consider the word and understand the visions. Like, huh? Another vision. 
And what God unfolds through the angel Gabriel from verse 24, which we will pick it up later, onwards, is not just about the 70 years that's coming to a close at the end of the exile, but it's 70 weeks. And what scholars have found is that the word weeks is literally sevens. In other words, seven set of sevens, meaning 490 years as part of world history that God unfolds. And so the 70 years is only episode one. In other words, here was God telling Daniel through the angel Gabriel, Daniel, this is what you pray for. I'm going to show you something more, something more beyond what you expect, something more beyond what you imagine in answer to your prayer. Often when we come before God with a prayer request, be it a medical condition to be healed, a conflict to be resolved, a loved one to come home to God, a challenge to be overcome, an addiction to be broken, while God can answer that prayer immediately according to our wish, often God does something a whole lot more in order to surprise us and not only to answer our prayers but to exceed them so that we see the mystery and the wow behind this God. Now, how many of us, you like a prayer life like that? Nah? You come to God with a request. You desire God to surprise you, to exceed what you're asking. Can I see your hands? You desire a prayer life like that. Now, Daniel shows us here in the life of Daniel, there are at least two postures in Daniel's heart and spirituality that is revealed to us so that when we follow the example of Daniel, what happens is that the journey of seeing God do above and beyond what we ask or expect begins with these two postures. The first, it begins with the posture of staying faithful. Staying faithful because God always looks for those whose hearts are after His. Verse 21, verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight, some translations in my weariness, at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand speaking with me and saying, Daniel, I've come out to give you insight and your understanding. Notice, at the when beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, I've come to tell it to you. As Daniel began to pray, God already began to dispatch Gabriel to him. Why was God so eager to answer and respond to Daniel's plea? Not because Daniel's so chong, hey, uh, long winter law, so, and then, and then God thinks, yeah, okay, I, I better get this guy off my back, answer him as quickly as possible. You notice the answer found in 23, verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I've come to tell it to you, for you are, say with me, greatly loved. Now, the way it's phrased here in the original for greatly loved is not a, I love you to bits kind of a imagery. Better translated, highly esteemed, highly valued as a price, as a treasure. It is the way we regard our family heirloom. If you have a, a watch from your grandfather passed down to you or a, a pendant from your grandmother, you will not even think of selling upon it because it is a priceless treasure. You can't put a price tag on it. Here was God telling Daniel, you are my prized servant, highly valued. Why? 
I suggest to us because of his faithfulness in the midst of trying times while on exile. If you follow the story of Daniel from chapter 1 to 6, Daniel's faithfulness was shown in at least three, if not more, ways. Number one, it was shown by his choices in life. His choices in life that honoured God. In chapter 1, if you recall, during the three-year induction program under the civil service, right, he had to go through training before he could serve in the king's court, and he had to take a food, the king's food and wine, and the Bible tells us that he resolved not to defile himself. Even though he will stick out like a sore thumb, even though can zam tao, you know, means that your head will, can roll, because you are defying the king's orders or instructions, he had to make a choice before God rather than stick to popular peer pressure. We go to chapter 6, if you recount the story, when the king issued a decree, right, an order that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to any God except to me, the king. What does Daniel do? He had to make a choice. Daniel went back to his home, climbed up his stairs to the upper room, opened the windows towards Jerusalem, got on his knees and began to pray three times a day. Notice, as he had done previously. If your life is at stake, if you don't pray for 30 days, God will understand, right? If you want to pray, then close the window, lah, then nobody can see. Pastor Ivan said, God, no aircon. But here he had to make a choice to honor God. As he had done previously, and notice now, his choices in life are therefore sustained by his religious rhythms, his spiritual habits. We see the same idea now in verse 21. Verse 21, while I was speaking, chapter 9, Daniel, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight. When? At the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, under Old Testament religious sacrifices, in terms of the rhythm, God commanded Israel that you offer sacrifices at the temple or at the tabernacle, slaughter the animal twice a day, when? Morning and evening. But by the time of Daniel, the temple has already been demolished and under rubble. No more temple, no more altar. But where Daniel is concerned, Temple or no temple, altar or no altar, he's going to keep the religious rhythm and habit. And it was in the time of exile when they had no temple, Jewish people learned to replace sacrifices with prayer as their act of sacrifice before God. His choices in life sustained by his spiritual habits. Secondly, his contrition of heart. His contrition of heart that demonstrates his faithfulness. Verse 20 Verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing, notice, whose sin? My sin and the sin of my people Israel. Nothing in the book of Daniel suggests to us Daniel had lived a sinful life. In fact, if there was anybody that passed the test of being righteous, being morally good, it was Daniel. Daniel could have appeared before God to say, God, if there's anyone that deserves not to be in exile, anyone that deserves to be having preferential treatment from you, it has to be me. It's like children, uh, you ask children, who wants ice cream? Everybody, me, right? Daniel could have said that. 
because of the integrity of heart, the lifestyle I've kept. But notice, my sin, the sin of my people, he identifies with how his people, his ancestors have rebelled against God. That's what landed them up in the mess. Contrition of heart. And finally, his concern for God's name. Verse 20 once more. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord of my God, notice for who or for what? For the holy hill of my God. If you scroll up to verse 19, he pleads for Jerusalem, not simply for the people to have a better life, a more comfortable life, no longer as slaves, but verse 19 tells us Jerusalem is the city that bears your name. In other words, God, your name has been defamed by us, by our rebellion. And that's why we're in exile. In those days in ancient warfare, when two nations clash in terms of their armies and, and in war, it is believed that it's not just the two nations that are fighting, their patron gods are actually fighting. And the, the stronger patron god will win the weaker one, and that decides whether which army or which nation wins. But the Bible tells us that it was actually God in chapter 1 Daniel, even though Israel lost and came under oppression, God put Israel into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And he's going to show, if you look at the story now, even Nebuchadnezzar, even King Darius were not only his vessels, he's actually a pawn in God's hand to move history and to turn Israel to repentance and fulfill prophecy. And here was Daniel pleading, God, your name is at stake. It appears to the rest of the world that you are weak, you are impotent, but we know you as the Most High God. Demonstrate yourself again. Concern for God's name. Stay faithful because God always looks for those whose hearts are after Him. One of the critical values that the world uh, desires, especially in the post-pandemic world, is called being resilient, right? Meaning that you're able to bounce back from a setback, be it COVID or be it a mental health challenge, and you're able to function. But in light of Scripture, we see being resilient is simply the, the expression, the fruit. God looks for something deeper as a root, as something he puts an even higher price tag on. It's not simply being resilient, but being faithful. Faithful to the core of our lives, so that not just simply bouncing back, but if need be, staying put. Staying put where God has called us. Staying put to be that servant, be at the workplace or at, on campus, in the army camp. Staying put and fighting for your marriage because it is the will of God. And by God's help, pushing through and seeing Him at work. There was an author who won a Victorian Prize for Literature in 2019. He wrote a book, and all this happened when he was held under hostage in a detention center on a small island as part of Papua New Guinea. And he won a book prize worth about 100,000 Aussie dollars. How in the world did he write this book while under detention and locked up in that room? He did it via WhatsApp. 
he would send WhatsApp messages to his translator, one message at a time. So he would write, he would send, he would write, he would send. And this kept on going, not for weeks and months. It kept on going for five years while the translator kept translating what he has sent via WhatsApp, compiling, publishing, until the day the book was ready, all 374 pages of that book. One WhatsApp message at a time. For some of us, my friends, this is what faithfulness could look like for us as we journey on this side of eternity. One message at a time. One temptation at a time. One prayer at a time. One fire to fight at a time. I know for a CGL in, in Covenant, he, he wakes up and at 6 a.m. every morning, he would send a prayer to his CG via WhatsApp to encourage them, to, to invite them to look to God again as they begin the day together. That's his show of faithfulness to God. For some of us, it could be that every time the temptation comes is to send that text for prayer, be it uh, to your trusted brothers or sisters so that you can journey together and not alone. For others who are dating, keeping to the boundaries you have agreed upon, these boundaries physically that honour God and honour one another. And for some of us, it could mean Saturday night setting the alarm at 15 minutes earlier than you usually wake up on Sunday so that you can arrive earlier, settle in, so that we don't rush the process and we give to God the worship that is due and deserving to Him. Stay faithful because God always looks for those whose hearts are after Him. Secondly, the journey of seeing God do above what we expect begins when we stay hopeful for God often works beyond our preferred timelines. Stay hopeful. Now, verse 24 onwards is where the angel Gabriel, under the instruction of God, begins to unfold all right, what's going to happen as part of world history. Now, this is where it gets a bit tricky, okay, as a heads up. That because scholars themselves are a bit divided, they have not completely agreed, we are, we are kind of treading on holy ground and on very humbling ground. Okay? But uh, allow me to j just try and summarize what the vision is. 70 weeks, or better translated, 77, which means 70 times 7 uh, equals 490. Most scholars conclude it's 490 years. It comes in three sets or three episodes. Episode 1, 7 sevens. Sounds a bit like rugby, but 7 sevens, where the word to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, either by Cyrus or by God or by one of the kings after Cyrus. Okay? And then there is a coming of an anointed one and a priest as part of that. Now, the second episode, 62 sevens, and the square brackets are those number of years total. The building again of the city of Jerusalem with a defense system. In chapter 9, you see that it's with a square and a moat, but essentially it's a defense system in troubled times. And then the final episode now, one more seven, seven years, where the anointed gets cut off, prince and people come, which is the oppressors, to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And then they stop sacrifices for half a seven or about three, three and a half years. Scholars are divided and wondering, first of all, is this meant to be something symbolic or literal? Literal meaning that these are actually events that happen in world history. Now, some hold to it that it may be symbolic and there is grounds for that because 
In the New Testament, when Simon Peter comes to Jesus, feeling very smug about himself, asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me, right? Is it seven times? His head is swelling because rabbinic literature says that you are only required to forgive your brother up to three times. But he says up to seven times, thinking he's more spiritual. And then Jesus' answer is, no, not seven times, but 77, meaning 70 times seven. I don't think Jesus means it literally, but it's the whole idea that you forgive your brother to the full, as long as it is necessary, beyond the law to its completion. You get the idea? So back to Daniel chapter 9, therefore, the, the whole sequence of events, the number of years could be symbolic, number one. Those who hold to the more literal view says that it is fulfilled in two ways. And, and there are two camps. The first, it is fulfilled in Jesus himself, meaning that the, the anointed one to come is actually Jesus himself as the first fulfillment because anointed here in the Hebrew is literally Messiah. And later on, you see how there is a rebuilding of Jerusalem in this troubled time, referring to the time of the Roman Empire under oppression. Then this anointed one gets cut off, right? Meaning he dies, he gets killed on the cross. And then there is going to be a people who will come to destroy the city. Historically, in AD 70, that's when the Roman Empire destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned the whole temple down. That's the first literal view. There is another second literal view which I'm a bit more persuaded by, okay? Which refers to the anointed one not first fulfilled in Jesus, but first fulfilled in Cyrus. Don't stone me yet, okay? Let me, let me, let me unpack why. Historically, if you go to the start of chapter 9, the Persian Empire had just risen in power. That's number one. It will fit better with the context. Number two, Cyrus himself in the book of Isaiah is being referred to as the anointed one. And if you come back to Daniel chapter 9, this anointed one is also a prince. The, 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 the Hebrew word used for prince is not a religious leader but a civil official. Now, if that is the case, if you follow the whole sequence of history, if it's first referring to Cyrus, and then if we go back to the other slide on, on the, the three episodes or the sevens, uh, then the rest begins to make a bit more sense where, for example, the rebuilding of Jerusalem under troubled time, we can point to the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. When they were rebuilding and there was opposition and they were intimidated because of their enemies. And then by the time you come to the last seven, there is actually a high priest in the history of the Jews who, who dies suddenly and then notice, you recall the little horn, chapter 7 and 8, who comes, who attacks Jerusalem, stops the sacrifices. His name is Antiochus. He defiles the sanctuary. In fact, historically, Antiochus comes in 167 BC, dies in 170 BC, about three years, three and a half. So I'm of the opinion that the first fulfillment happens more as referring to Cyrus first as the anointed one. But regardless of which view you take, whether symbolic or literal, if it's literal, whether fulfilled first in Jesus or in Cyrus, here's what scholars conclude. Three things. Number one, that historically, if you take a literal view, the way the number of years are stacked up, they cannot sync up all the events nicely according to the number of years. That's number one. Number two, they saw that this vision is not simply a prophecy of a one-time event. It is actually a pattern for the rest of history. Not just prophecy of a one-time event, 
but a pattern for the rest of history. So by the time you come to New Testament, when, when the disciples ask Jesus about the end times, Jesus refers to another event where the temple will be desecrated. There's an abomination that will happen, right? That's Matthew 24. And then we did 2 Thessalonians as part of our public series last year. 2 Thessalonians will, will describe another little horn that will appear after Antiochus dies, who will be anti-Christ, anti-God, boast of himself and demands worship. You travel down the pages of the Bible all the way to Revelation, and chapter 13 of Revelation, a beast will arise who is also anti-God, anti-Christ, and he will be even performing false signs and wonders such that the world will marvel and worship him. And Revelation becomes a picture for us in our time and age before Jesus comes. Meaning, therefore, not simply a prophecy of an event, but a pattern for the rest of history. And here's the third thing scholars can conclude. The idea of weeks or sevens finds its root in Leviticus 25, where God tells the people of Israel about the year of Jubilee. So in Leviticus 25, can you read this with me together? One, two, go. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the year of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. So notice the same idea, seven sevens or seven times seven. Here was a picture of God preparing the people to say your jubilee is coming. And what is going to happen at jubilee? That's the time where God presses the control alternate delete button for the land and for the people where people will return back to their families, back to their property. Slave will be redeemed. God is going to restore the land to its original intent and redeem the people so that they are slaves no more and they are free, truly free. And if that's the case, if that's the picture intended, then here was God's message to Daniel in chapter 9. Your jubilee is coming. I have set in motion a time of freedom for the people of Israel, even though it takes longer than you wish. Even though there'll be cycles and cycles and cycles of oppression, of opposition, but your jubilee is coming. I have decreed freedom. And for us as New Testament Christians, we find our hearts reset for Jubilee on the cross where Jesus the Anointed One came. And by His sacrifice, our sins forgiven, and we await the final and ultimate reset, not just for the land of Israel, but for the entire world where Jesus returns and the Bible tells us, I'm making all things new. The old order is passing away. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth where there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Your jubilee is coming even though it takes longer than you wish. One of the trademark values of our Singapore society currently, be, besides being resilient, is being efficient, right? right? We want to do things as fast as possible to achieve the same outcome. Now, this past week, we, we witnessed not just the swearing-in of our new president, Mr. Taman, we also remember 100 years of Mr. Lee Kuan Yew's life, right? Now, I was told, I was told that Mr. Lee had a KPI for Changi Airport as a world-class airport. Okay, can you turn to your neighbor? Turn to your neighbor and guess, okay? 
that there is a KPI in terms of the duration uh, as a standard. From the time the aircraft lands, reaches the aero bridge, the passengers disembark, from that time to the time that the luggage reached the belt, the carousel. Okay, guess what's the standard in terms of the duration? From the time disembark to you get your luggage. Okay, turn to your neighbor, make a guess. Now, I was told, uh, I was told, okay, uh, someone confirmed this for me, uh, that the standard is 12 minutes. In our world today, that's what we value, being efficient, being fast. But how God works in history through His people is not from the lens of efficiency, but the lens of efficacy, meaning God does things at the right time, in the right way to achieve the right outcome. And the Bible tells us that when Christ died, Christ died at the right time. How can it be the right time when thousands of years have lapsed? But that's the economy of God. There's a GP that Sue and I love to go to because he's very caring. He will take time to, to, to do patient care. He's very popular, so the, the queues are long, and then people end up waiting two to three hours to see him, and he's also, he's also very affordable. By the time we finished waiting, we entered his clinic. I saw this sign, oh, this, this uh, quote on his table, and here's what the sign says, okay? Cheap and good is not fast. <laughs> fast and good is not cheap. Cheap and fast is not good. As Singaporeans, we value being efficient, but God operates on a very different timeline. For the sake of the transformation of His people, for the sake of the unfolding of world history. And he does so, so that God gives time for people to repent before the second coming happens. The famous Chicago preacher D.L. Moody had a list of 100 friends that he prays for every day to come to Christ. And when any of these in the list come to Christ, he will strike off the list. Apparently at his death, 96 out of the 100 came to Christ. At the funeral itself, the last four came into the kingdom. The Great Commission is an urgent task, but God is not in a hurry, but God works just in time. I share this with permission from Pastor Sharon. She was speaking at a, a wake service a few nights ago. She was speaking at a wake service for an elderly relative whom she calls Yeye, even though not the real grandfather. And... Her, her sister Michelle, also commenter, was uh, translating for her. And this is what she said. She said that her challenge, uh, what happened was that Yeye came to Christ at BBJ Hawkins service years ago, but the challenge was really reaching out to Nai Nai, who is uh, Yeye's spouse or wife, even though not the real grandmother. And, and she said that each time I talk about Christ, Nai Nai would brush me aside. And last night, meaning this night, I was preaching at week service with my younger sister, Michelle, translating. Seated there was Nai Nai, my relatives, ex-colleagues whom I was praying for so many years. I felt yesterday was a picture of persistent prayers like D.L. Moody's journey. I've been praying for them for years and I often wonder how long. Yesterday, they sat there listening to the sermon and I believe seeds have been sown. After sermon... Nai Nai also finally prayed to receive Christ. Can we give thanks and praise to God? 
that God works in His good time. Just, just a quick show of hands. I shared this before at PMP in, uh, in, in August, but quick show of hands. How many of us here, you have elderly parents, elderly relatives yet to receive Christ and, and their time is short? Can I see your hands? And you desire them to come into the kingdom. I'm believing it with you. Because God desires that none should perish, but everyone come to repentance. And for some of us, we may have been praying years and years for them, wondering whether God is answering, wondering whether is God doing something. I, I, I wish I had time to share with you stories after stories of covenanters praying for their parents and in good time coming into the kingdom. When I was a district pastor at Woodlands, one of the covenanters' father came to Christ. I had the honor to baptize him that evening. The next morning, he went home to the Lord. I myself prayed a good nine to ten years, week after week, for my parents before they came to Christ. I had the honor to baptize my own stepfather at Woodlands in those years. I, I want to encourage us as spiritual family. Martin Luther says that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. And therefore, partner with God and keep praying whether we see the result or not. Stay hopeful because God often works beyond our preferred timeline. Let me close with this final story as we look to how we are believing God to do above and beyond what we imagine. Jono just now shared during our worship time about Ryan. Those of us who follow Pastor Kai's Facebook will be familiar with this 15-year-old boy. Ryan suffered for 10 years with an autoimmune a hepatitis condition and needed a liver transplant. And Pastor Kai sounded the call at Woodland Centre. Fifteen people came forward to, to volunteer for the liver transplant and, and to see whether the, the liver matches. Along the way, you will recall 8th of August, we were here, right? The night before National Day, praying for our MP Edward Chia and then going out to pray for our BBJ community. That same night, Woodland CGs were out at the city centre. They were praying for the nation. And of all people who turned up, Guess who came? Ryan himself. I mean, of all people that didn't need to be there, that needed time to recover and rest, it had to be him. But he and his parents said that we want to be part of this, we want to pray for the land, we want to pray for Singapore and the young people. Now, along the way, praise God, there was a donor match that was found. The liver transplant operation took place. He's not out in the woods yet. He had to undergo surgery again yesterday morning because there were complications. Doctor had to clear the infection. But two months ago, when Pastor Kai visited him at ICU, asked him the question, how can I pray for you? Here was Ryan's reply. Pray for peace. Pray that I would remain faithful to Jesus. 15 years old. Pray for peace. Pray that I would remain faithful to Jesus. You see, my friends, on this side of eternity where there are twists and turns, sometimes we cannot make out what God is doing. God invites not just Ryan, but all of us to that place of prayer. So that at the place of prayer, opened up by us, by the Lord Jesus through the cross, we can meet God and God gives us the strength that we need to stay faithful to Him because His eye and His hand is upon us and to stay hopeful even though God takes longer than we wish, but God is still on the throne, 
on the move. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads together in prayer as we respond to him and give some space and time now, coming to this place of prayer now, before the Lord, together as spiritual family. In a few moments' time, we're going to sing this song that affirms that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus himself, the anointed one who has come and who's coming again. But for the next few moments, I just want to give that time over to you to respond to perhaps one thing God is saying, putting upon your heart. It could be, stay the course, my hand is upon you. Or keep praying, I am at work even though you do not see. Would you take some time right now to respond back to Him before we respond as a spiritual family together? As we come before God right now, I'm going to pray a prayer on our behalf. And if that prayer resonates with you, it echoes the very desire of your heart. I'm going to invite you after that just to put up your hand to indicate that to God, to me. And we're going to pray together and believe God not only to answer it, but to exceed it and to surprise us. Here's how this prayer goes. Father God, your will is totally sovereign. You are the God on the throne, on the move. Even when I don't see or understand, and your will is gloriously redemptive, for you desire that none should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Lord, I don't understand the twists and turns, why it takes longer than I wish. Your will is sometimes puzzling, but I know by faith that your delays are not your denials, and your will is perfect always. And therefore, Lord, all the days of my life are appointed in your book before each of them came to be. My times are in your hands, Fulfill every of your promise in your good way, in your good and perfect time. For you who began the good work in me will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. So spiritual family, if that's you, that echoes the desire of your heart as you bring before the Lord yourself, your life, can I invite you just to put out your hand up high? Just say, Lord, that's me. Answer. Hear. Exceed. Eternal God, our Father, you see all these hands, including my race, before you. Our times are in your hands, O Lord. 
and we ask as our efficacious God, make all things beautiful in your time. Be pleased not only to hear and answer, be pleased to surprise us beyond what we're even asking or understanding. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to surprise us with salvation in our families, at our workplaces, at our schools, at our army camps, wherever you have placed us as your children and servants, so that as we keep coming back to that place of prayer, as we keep calling upon you, thank you, Lord, that you, you will keep responding for the sake of your own name, O oh God. Thank you. We may put our hands down. As we continue for our final moments in prayer now, I wonder here at this second service whether there's any of us who you came. It could be your first time today or you've come before, but you do not have a personal faith or relationship with Jesus. And you hear this morning there is an anointed one, there is a prince who has come so that God can do a reset in our heart and give us a brand new start. And if you desire that brand new start with Jesus, Here's how this prayer goes. I'm going to pray it. And if that's your prayer, I'm going to invite you likewise to put up your hand up high. I'm going to acknowledge you, pray with you before we sing this song together. Lord Jesus, you have come as the anointed one, the Messiah. Do a reset in my sinful heart. Thank you for the cross, which makes this reset and brand new start possible. I invite you in. Do what only you can do to save, restore, reset so that I can taste a new freedom and tell it to others. So my dear friend, if that's you, can I invite you, that echoes your very heart. Through that prayer, you came in not as a Christian, but through that prayer, receive and put your faith in Christ for the very first time. Can you just put up your hand up high? I just want to acknowledge you, pray with you before we respond with this song together. Be it here or at the overflow. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that every time the scriptures are open, you show us glimpses of yourself and invite us to relationship with you. Therefore, we ask for our friends and guests who are here, if they have yet to come to a place of putting their trust in you, be pleased to wow them with how real you are. Until that day, their hearts are open wide to call upon you. We give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name and we say together, Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain Holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Let's stand together and sing the darkness seems to hide his face. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, 
anchor holds, we say, my anchor holds within, within Christ upon, Christ alone. He's the cornerstone, weak made strong. In the Savior's love, through the some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.